This is a Demon FM podcast. Deep Dive, the official Demon FM news podcast. My name's Catherine, and I'll be your host today. Due to recent events, we've decided to produce a series of specialist podcasts in relation to the general election. Each week, we'll focus on one particular political party and bring on a special guest to talk with about the issues the United Kingdom is currently facing. In today's podcast, we'll be focusing on the Liberal Democrats. Now, what we'll do is we'll go through the Liberal Democrat manifesto. So we'll go through it together and we'll discuss what's on it. Right, so if you go uh, onto the Liberal Democrat website, they have um, an electronic version of the manifesto. What we'll be doing is we'll be looking at sort of the summaries of each point. Now, the first thing they have, obviously, unshockingly, as it's a huge point in their campaign, is to stop Brexit. Now, they say for over three years, the Liberal Democrats have led the fight to stop Brexit. Every vote for the Liberal Democrats is a vote to stop Brexit and stay in the EU. Now, their plans, which we'll discuss later with our special guest, Ellis Sullivan, are to revoke Article 50. This means Brexit would basically vanish and the last three years would vanish with it. Their next point is basically about strengthening the economy. One of the first points I have is how they plan to invest for the future across the UK. So they state here that they will kickstart a devolution revolution and give all parts of the UK a real say backed by meaningful financial muscle. The next point is about UK 2050, where they talk about their vision for an innovation-led economy. They say that they will make the UK a world leader in responsible innovation by building on the strengths of the country and obviously help build a growing economy in which people will have well-paid and fulfilling jobs. The next point they make is harnessing the benefits of new technology. So they state here that they want the UK to lead the world in ethical, inclusive new technology, including artificial intelligence, and that they will ensure new technology is developed and deployed ethically. The next point they make is a better deal for entrepreneurs and small businesses. They believe that dynamic entrepreneurial businesses are a force of good and that they will ensure that they have access to the funding and long-term capital that they need. The next point they make is on business. Again, this is talking about the economy, so this section is all going to be about business. So they they have a plan uh, for an economy that works for everybody. So it would foster a diversity of types of business, mutual social enterprises, community interest companies, and that all of them should empower their employees. The next point they make is on taxes. So they state that they will make sure that big businesses pay their fair share and support small and medium-sized enterprises and ensure that income earned from wealth is less privileged in the taxation system. The next point they make is about the future of work. They said that they will give employees protection and a voice at work whilst enabling innovative business models to flourish in the modern economy. The next point is about opportunities throughout life. So they're basically talking about here that they are embracing the future and they are championing flexible lifelong learning that gives people the power to follow the path that best suits their ability. The next point is about responsible finances. And they are saying that they will stop Brexit and use the increased revenue for a a bigger economy to invest in services. The next point and final point in the sector 
for the economy is promoting well-being. They're stating that they'll improve people's quality of life by building a strong economy, supporting people's mental health and ensuring good working conditions. The next point they mention in their manifesto is their plan for better education and skills. Now, they aim to deliver free, high-quality childcare from age nine months for the children of working parents and for all children between the ages of two and four. And then they'll invest in nurseries and children's centres to help disadvantaged children. The next part that they say is about schools that prepare children for life. They say they will reverse the cuts to schools' funding, allowing schools to employ an extra 20,000 teachers and end the crisis in special educational needs and disabilities funding and end teaching to the test. The next point they make is about accountable local schools. They plan to create a coherent and accountable local school system in England that will let local authorities open new community schools while opposing any future expansion of grammar schools. The next point they make is a better deal for teachers. Teachers are the most important asset in our education system. They say that they will ensure they are paid a fair wage and can focus on teaching rather than the unnecessary bureaucratic tests and inspections. The next point they make is about children and families who are ready to learn. So they state that children can't learn properly if they are undernourished or unhappy. So they will extend free school meals to all children in primary education, tackle bullying and train staff to identify mental health issues. They state that they will protect our world-leading universities by stopping Brexit and invest in further education and help children from poorer families to remain in education and training by introducing a young people's premium. The next point they make is access to culture and sport. So they've stated that arts, media and sports are essential for personal fulfilment and the quality of life. The Liberal Democrats will ensure that we continue to invest in our cultural capital. Okay, the next point is about green society and green economy. So the first point they make is that they will set a new legally binding target to reduce net greenhouse gas emissions by, to zero by 2045 at the latest and implement a comprehensive climate action plan cutting emissions across all sectors. The next point is in regards to renewable energy. They aim to decarbonise the power sector completely, supporting renewables and household and community energy to create jobs and cut fossil fuel imports. Their interim goal is to reach at least 80% renewable electricity by 2030. Next point is about warm homes and lower energy bills. They state they will implement an emergency 10-year programme to reduce all energy consumption from all buildings, cutting emissions and energy bills and ending fuel poverty. The next point they make is about the green industry, green jobs and green products. They state they will provide support for innovation to cut energy and fossil fuel use in industrial processes. They state they will maximise recovery, reuse, recycling and remanufacturing, cutting resource use, waste and pollution. Their next point is around saving nature and the countryside. They state that they will save nature and the countryside by introducing a Nature Act, at the same time as combating climate change by planting 60 million trees a year. The next point they make is about improving transport. Their plan is to invest in public transport, encourage walking and cycling and accelerate the transition to ultra-low emission transport, reducing the impact of transport on the environment and improving people's health. Another point they make in the manifesto is clean and green. They state they will enact the legal right to unpolluted air. To deliver on this, they will ensure that by 2030, every new car sold is electric. They will further support innovation in zero emission technologies and reduce the climate impact of flying. The next point they make is reducing the need for car travel. So they're basically stating that they will invest in public transport, improving its reliability and affordability, reform the planning system to reduce the need to travel and promote cycling and walking, as previously stated. The next point is to fix Britain's railways. 
They aim to improve the railways, reform the franchising system and improve services to customers. Their plan includes freezing rail fares for commuters and season ticket holders, extending the network, improving and reopening stations, restoring twin track lines. Their final point on the green economy and green society section is about animal welfare. They plan to promote animal welfare and prevent animal suffering. They say they will induce stronger penalties for animal cruelty offences, clamp down on legal pet imports and improve standards of animal health and welfare in agriculture. The next point is their plan for health and social care. So they plan to raise £7 billion a year from a 1p increase in the income tax per pound. And they'll earmark it to relieve the crisis in social care, tackle workforce shortages and invest in mental health and prevention services. Furthering that point, they plan in terms of mental health to prioritise early intervention, prevent people from experiencing a mental health crisis and to minimise the number and the duration of inpatient stays. This means ensuring all young people can access support quickly. Access to care is the next point. They believe that the social care service's greatest resource is the staff, but the NHS and social care workforce are subject to immense pressure, causing too many to leave. They are going to take the action needed to recruit and retain the staff needed to deliver services. Their final point on health and social care is help to stay healthy. They'll support people to lead more active and healthy lives. They plan to publish a national wellbeing strategy, reverse cuts to public health budgets and make it easier for people to enjoy a healthy diet. The next point in their manifesto is building a fair society. So they plan to build a social security system that works for the modern world, supporting those that need it and helping people back into work. To further this, they plan to support pensioners, people are living longer, making a good pension vitally important. They plan to make the UK the best place in the world to save for and enjoy retirement. The next point they make is about affordable housing. They plan to oversee a substantial building programme to ensure that everybody has a safe and secure home and they will make the rental market more affordable and secure. The next plan is to end rough sleeping. They believe that nobody should have to spend a night sleeping on the streets and plan to end rough sleeping within five years. The next point they make is about rural and coastal communities. So their plan is to make rural and coastal areas thrive. They will build communities that are innovative, well-connected, resilient and prepared for the future. The next point they make is about public health approach to violence. Their plan is more for the police, who are able to focus on the community policing that prevents crime and makes people feel safe. They plan to invest in services that prevent crime. The next point is reducing reoffending. They plan to make the justice system work by focusing on things that actually prevent crime focusing on what works to stop reoffending to prevent people becoming victims of a further crime. The next point is about freedom, rights and equality. Plan to protect civil liberties by building a society where rights and liberties are protected and where nobody has their privacy violated by prying instruments of the state. They demand equality and their plan is for a government that takes an active role both in punishing discrimination and ensuring that it does not happen in the first place. The next one is to promote diversity. They plan to tackle institutional biases, promote equality and hold power to account through applying values of openness, transparency and accountability. Their next point is a compassionate and effective immigration system. They state they will welcome migrants coming to the UK for the skills and contribution that they bring and ensure that everyone has confidence that the immigration system is functioning as it should. Dignities for refugees and asylum seekers. They say that too many people are wrongly denied asylum with 40% of refusals overturned on appeal. We'll make the system work fairly for seekers of sanctuary. Now, the next part is about politics. Their plan is to reform British politics to make it more representative and to empower citizens. They will drive a devolution revolution to give power to people and communities and help fund the services that people need. Their plan 
is for a well-functioning democracy with a high standard of public debate in which there is a pluralistic media environment and citizens are educated and empowered. They say they will not allow Brexit to reverse devolution and will ensure home rule for each of the nations of a strong federal and united kingdom. Finally, they talk about their plan for a better world. They plan to build on the UK's proud record of international leadership through the EU, UN, NATO and the Commonwealth by promoting values of freedom and opportunity for all. They believe that the armed forces play a vital role in the defence of the nation and they will try to properly support service personnel and veterans. Their next point is that their plan for the future is to build on championing liberal and international values, ending poverty and promoting the UN sustainable development goals both in the UK and abroad. It's about promoting human rights and equality around the world. Finally, they talk about global climate change action. The climate emergency is a global challenge and requires a global solution. They state they are the only party with a detailed plan to lead global efforts to combat the climate emergency. Now, that's all from the Liberal Democrat Manifesto. And with me now to discuss some of these policies is Ellis Sullivan. So tell me about yourself, Ellis. Well, I'm uh, 20 years old. I uh, I know. I'm an adult now. Uh, studying at De Montfort, of course, doing media communications uh, alongside film studies. And I was an ex-Liberal Democrat member. And as you know, I'm uh, now a supporter for the Labour Party. Yes, you are. So how long were you supporting the Liberal Democrats? It's hard to say probably exactly because I was I was sort of a mid, mid-teen when I sort of started to become interested in stuff. I became a member in sort of late 2015. And then I think I think I stopped my membership. I think it was probably the beginning of this year. So obviously you say your mind was changed. Is there any particular reason that caused you to no longer want to support the Liberal Democrats? It was it was certainly sort of a slow build up because in terms of wider policies, um there's still a lot I agree with there. Um I would say out of, you know, all of the major parties, they're probably still the one I lean more towards. Um but the approach to Brexit, I thought, was becoming more and more ridiculous to me. And as sort of time went on, and especially going to into this election, there was things that were, I, I think, more important than just Brexit to focus on. So obviously, as you just mentioned, Brexit is a major issue. Obviously, a lot of political parties are jumping on the bandwagon. Do you feel the methods the Liberal Democrats are proposing you know, good enough to deal with this issue? Well, like I say, because it, it the, the stance on the whole situation has changed. I thought if we sort of go back to the 2017 election, I thought Tim Farron was a good choice uh, as a leader for Liberal Democrats. Um, I thought he swung a bit more towards the left from where I think Nick Clegg took it a bit, bit more right wing in the past. And I think it was good. But now we've got to the point where it's not that Labour's essentially took the original Liberal Democrat stance of that this is a decision that's too massive to be put in the hands of a few politicians, whereas the Liberal Democrats, they want to revoke Article 50 and it's they they essentially want to pretend as though Brexit's never happened, Um, which is understandable in the sense of remaining makes sense and I... Had I had the opportunity, I would have voted Remain. So, yeah, it, it, it does make sense, but it seems very off to me to just completely say, oh, yeah, this is the decision that the people of this country have taken, and we're going to go in the opposite direction to that. 
So obviously you were just talking about sort of the Liberal Democrats um, and Nick Clegg and everything. How do you feel the Liberal Democrats were in their previous coalition with the Conservative Party? So I started to get interested in politics when they had been voted out of office. A lot of blame, I think, got got put on the Liberal Democrats and there was a lot of focus on Nick Clegg's stance on tuition fees, which don't get me wrong, he did completely swing in the opposite direction to what he had said. He's not the first politician to have done so and he won't be the last. But because I'm from the Sheffield region, he held the Hallam seat, obviously, up until the 2017 election, which I remember as all, all uh, seeing it live as, as we watched him lose it at like two o'clock in the morning. That was a bit of a sinking feeling. Yeah, I, I do think he was a bit more right wing. I do think he was, in terms of his economic values, especially, you know, he, he's got some similar policies that lined up with David Cameron's, which is why they could work together on a lot of issues. But it's often glossed over a lot of the policies that they tried tried to introduce. I think it was Article 13 that the Liberal Democrats blocked twice, which is all about internet safeguarding and stuff. And now, it, because it, even then it was sort of less of a problem and now you've got problems with the internet that are all arising again and there's a lot of stuff that comes up and arguments that come up about where the Conservatives are going with this and how sometimes, you know, Labour might disagree with it and I think, well, hang on a minute, this this happened nearly 10 years ago except the Liberal Democrats said then that they weren't good ideas, so... Oh, thank you. Um, so obviously, as we're talking about the Conservatives, what do you uh, feel uh, or how do you feel about how the Conservatives have been doing in Parliament for the last few years? <laughs> There's plenty to say about nine years of austerity, isn't there? <laughs> um, I just, it, it's getting to the point now, I think, because I've, I've said before that in retrospect, Theresa May, I would choose again over David Cameron and Boris Johnson. Well, um, so obviously talking about uh, the Conservative government, how do you feel about the change in leadership from Theresa May to Boris Johnson? Um, obviously, I know there's a lot of, uh, there's been a lot of critiques around Boris Johnson. Um, do you feel these are correct or do you feel like maybe it's a form of propaganda? It's tragic. But, um, but my, my thing with Boris Johnson is... Boris Johnson has been building this his way to government for the past 15, 20 years. His bed was made for him. He knew he was going to get to Downing Street, despite dropped out of the um, 2017 uh, leadership election. Yeah, he's been building this persona. Because when, when I was younger, there was a bit of a perception, sort of dumb buffoon that somehow managed to land the job of being the mayor of London. And and then when you really look into it, he's an incredibly intelligent man. Boris is a bit more tactical, you know, trying to... He, he, will, he will sell off our NHS. That, that is the biggest concern for me this, uh, this election. Okay, thank you. Uh, returning back to, obviously, the Liberal Democrats... Um... The leader, I know Jo Swinson has uh, come under a lot of scrutiny for her uh, sort of previous uh, voting record. Um, and I mean, she she did seem very promising towards the start of the sort of general election campaigns going on. Um, but a lot of people have decided to start picking holes in a lot of what she's been saying. So what are your feelings towards Jo Swinson? My thing with Jo, and it's not too dissimilar from 
what it was with Vince Cable beforehand. Um, she's been very trying to sort of put forward the idea that she is, you know, um, she's got the same worth as Corbin and Johnson and stuff. And uh, the thing is to me is that I don't believe she has those leadership qualities that especially Corbin has, which could, you know, just be my current labour bias anyway. But... Yeah, she she doesn't have those leadership qualities. It there's there's oftentimes I find you see her in interviews and stuff, and it's like a child's being told they can be whatever they want to be, which it sounds it sounds quite nasty actually, but yeah, it's like a child being told they can be whatever they want to be, and she she just sort of um, even the little videos they post on as their uh, you know like the promotional videos they put on Facebook and stuff. Uh, when uh, I think particularly when the debate was coming up, there was a, she was posting a lot of stuff saying that uh, ITV sort of ignoring the the people if she's not involved in that. But I watched the the interviews after the ITV debate and watched them all then, and I just thought, yeah, she just she doesn't come across anywhere. She doesn't come across as confident in her own policies, and she doesn't come across as confident in her own party, which is immediately a problem because I think if you're not confident with what you believe in anyway, especially when your party's got a track record of um, deceiving the population anyway, or that's the way it's perceived to be. So, yeah, yeah, she just, she doesn't come across as a sort of someone, she, in contrast her with someone like Nicola Sturgeon, who, I mean, there's no chance that I'd, I'd ever vote for the SNP because... There's no reason for me to be, you know, I, I live below the Scottish border. Yeah, so, so, I mean, you're not even Scottish, so... Yeah, so it doesn't really make any sense to me. But Nicola Sturgeon, to me, it does have a very good presence, especially when you compare it to someone like Joe Swinson. Uh, Nicola, but Nicola also seems ready to work with people if it's necessary. The Liberal Democrats, they're not going to win a majority this ele- election. I mean, and I knew they weren't going to win a majority of the last election that doesn't bother me because it's you know it, it is about getting seats with some of these smaller parties it's not necessarily about winning the majority but increasing that representation but Joe Swinson said she won't she won't she won't get into bed with a Labour government um and but a lot of a lot of the working class supporters criticized obviously the Lib Dems for supporting the to- uh, supporting the Tories in the 2010 co- coalition, um, I think they they could probably regain a lot of seats if they'd actually say, "Oh, yeah, she was willing to to work with Corbyn." Um, and I think at the end of the day, probably will do if it comes down to it. If if they're asked, they probably will do. And then you've just lost a load of supporters for the next election, haven't you? So, in terms of promises, how do you feel about what the Liberal Democrats are planning to do with the NHS? Is it enough in terms of funding and also other public services like policing and everything? Uh, what has interested me about uh, the Lib Dems and their approach to the NHS anyway, and this isn't a new policy, but their focus on mental health, which is certainly more prevalent than the parties like Labour and uh, certainly the Conservative Party as well. 
Now, the Lib Dems, in contrast to the Labour in terms of money, makes sense. Uh, they're talking about raising an extra £7 billion in cash by just adding an extra penny on the income tax. That works, completely makes sense. One P is nothing for people to be mad about. But at the same time, that's what people have blamed the Tories for in the past, is that, yeah, you you make these sort of incremental increases to taxation and that's how it goes under the radar. And, you know, you don't know how the next government's then going to use that. Oh, yeah, we're going to have another penny on the income tax, but it's only a penny. The, the mental health services in this country need not necessarily rejuvenating, but they just need a better infrastructure in the first place. I know that you are extremely involved in politics. Do you have any specific memories about being involved in the party that you'd want to share? Uh, yeah. Uh, well, like I say, um, there are... We did some small uh, canvassing sessions around 2016, 2017, stuff like that. And that was always, always nice to go out and see. I mean, it well, it, it's nice when you, you meet people that, you know, will, will talk to you and stuff. Uh, you do. I have had some uh, rather rude remarks and uh, especially when we were going through the UKIP heavy area in uh, Rotherham, that was... Not the best experience, but I, uh, if, yeah, if I was going to pick a moment, it would would have been the count from the election of 2017. I mean, overall, it wasn't very good. We did, I think we gained about four or five seats during that election, but it was nerve-wracking the whole time. It was. It's interesting from the point of view of when you're there um, representing your party and stuff, and you can sort of... You, you're looking at maybe three or four people and counting the votes um, sort of as they're going along and you're thinking, oh, well, uh, like, you know, it's looking up now. And then there's bits where you think, oh, no, it's not looking up now. So that's always kind of nerve-wracking. Uh, like I said before, when we found out that Nick Clegg had lost his seat, that was uh, met with bitter disappointment, I think, because there, there just wasn't too likely of a chance that we would have one in other areas in you know to sort of make up for it and he's held that seat for a long time i think i'm very happy to say that his constituency as big as hallam has been represented by the lib dems for a long time and you have felt the difference since then uh since it's now a labor constituency uh, in sheffield there's a lot of involvement with the green party and a lot of smaller parties do get involved so which again it was nice to see at the nice to see at the count it was nice to be able to talk to other people so obviously there was a, in, there's interview specials going on on BBC right now and on Andrew Neil's interview with Joe Swinson he asked sort of the general public um, a question I'm going to propose this question to you now and we'll see what you think see what your answer is so it'll be fresh you've not seen this question beforehand unless you've watched the interview so are you ready Ellis? Okay <clears throat> do you think the Liberal Democrats are right or wrong to propose revoking Article 50 and stopping Brexit completely. Wrong. Well, I, I know that uh, the, typically the problem in politics is that people are incapable of giving a one-word answer. So True. <laughs> I thought I'd treat you to one. Oh, well, but, thank you very much. Uh, yeah, to expand on it, yeah, come, wrong. I mean, that is... Uh, yeah, wrong. <laughs> ...is part of one of the major reasons, like I said before, that I have pulled away because... Of all the parties, the Liberal Democrats should be respecting a democratic decision. Now, I, I don't agree with the decision to to leave the EU. Like, I'm very, I very strongly believe that we should remain in the EU. But I also believe people voted for it. 
That being said, which was the original stance and proposed in the 2017 manifesto was to look at having a second referendum. Now, I think they hadn't quite got there in terms of how to approach doing another second referendum and justifying it. But now what and what is really turning me further and further away from them is that they want to completely revoke Article 50 um, and they using all sorts of excuses and blaming the other the constantly their campaign at the moment is constantly about just telling you what's wrong with the other labor uh, other not just labor but the other parties parties leaders and telling you about their stances on brexit um i think the best approach is uh, to have new negotiations uh with with the eu to sort out a bit and you'll have heard this before because it's it's right out of Corbyn's mouth. It is to discuss a new de- deal and then allow the public to have time to think about that deal and then vote on the deal. Because when we voted on Brexit, A, it was a very different political climate to what it is now anyway. And B, nobody knew what they were in for. And I think a lot there are a lot of leavers that would vote Remain now. There's a lot of Remainers... I think that are probably sick of hearing about it and would probably vote leave now. Well, I think what people need is the information of where our country is going to be in a year, six years after the re- uh, after the whole thing's gone through. Because right now, I think it's a lot of people panicking. It's a lot of people sick of all these rumors and just want to get out now. Or people are stressing that we're gonna. It's a sink or swim situation. If someone is unsure on who to vote for, what would be your advice to them? And not not just vote Labour. Not just. <laughs> what would be your advice? If someone can't make up their mind between two parties, what would you say they should look for? Well, I mean, it would depend. Uh, it depends on a lot of stuff, I think. I, I've, I think, in, in terms of with me, because I, I think for a lot of people, um, and I think I've said this, um, not here, but I, I've said it. I've said it before to you. You can vouch for me for this one. Um, uh, yeah, I've I've said before that the problem with British politics is um, that it's outdated. Anyway, it needs modernising, and the the only person actually pushing for modernising politics, or really pushing for it, I think it is actually part of the Lib Dem manifesto of this election as well. Um, it, it's Nigel Farage, and I mean, God knows I don't agree with that man, but he, he, the reason he's pushing for it is because I think the 2017 election, there was a very strong realisation by a lot of people that their votes hadn't been represented properly, specifically with UKIP and stuff. So that's the reason he's pushing for it, but he's not wrong. It's focuses too much on this binary opposition between Labour and Labour and the Conservatives and it's not a two-horse race as far as I'm concerned and it shouldn't be a two-horse race because people aren't educated in the first place about politics to make up their own decision. A lot of people vote what their families have voted for generations and a lot of people vote because they get told you're working class, you vote uh, Labour, you're any other, you know, you're higher up and you vote Conservative, which shouldn't at all be the case. So if you are struggling particularly with this election, I think you should think about not what matters to you most now, but what matters is going to matter to you the most following the election, which, like I say, 
in my case, it's the NHS. Another broken promise about getting Brexit done isn't going to sway me. But yeah, it's the NHS for me, I think is the most important thing. So thank you very much, Alice, for coming on the podcast. It was nice having you here. Thank you, Kat. for listening to Deep Dive with our Liberal Democrats special. Next week we'll be talking about the smaller political parties running in this election. Don't forget to check out the Spotify for even more Demon FM content. Oh no, is it over? Well don't worry because if you head on over to Demon FM podcasts on Anchor you can listen to all of our other podcasts as well as keep an ear out for any new episodes. You can also find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and more. Go on, have a listen. I support you.